Hey guys, Mubarak Shah, CPA here, M&A advisor, here today to talk to you about what to know before you look to value or buy a software company. All right, and this is something that I've had experience with selling a software company, being a part of one, being a VP of finance in one. And so I'm bringing all those levels of exposure to it, as well as a very good blog post that I have to give credit for that I'll try to link in the show notes, which is from Mineola Search Partners. And um, essentially, it kind of breaks down more of the details on the valuation of software companies and how to kind of look at them. So I want to talk about it in this episode. And so, you know, obviously, everyone knows that enterprise software or any software nowadays is basically one of the world's best business models. Um, and that's because of recurring revenue. All right, that's the holy grail. That's what Wall Street loves. That's what public companies love because it adds in a layer of predictability to revenue. You know, like anybody who's worked in sales or if you ever think about sales, and my first, you know, understanding of sales was actually in one of my first jobs working for first like a retail clothing store when I was, you know, just like in college. And it was working at like Express and Armani Exchange. And I used to think it was so interesting how every single day we would be measured on our sales performance, right? But the crazy thing was that it was a little bit out of our control because our sales were, yes, you could be a good salesperson, right? But it also determined how many people walked in the store that day. And it would also determine whether it was raining that day and whether it was difficult for people to get to the store and whether there was other stores doing discounts. Um, and sales and which increased or decreased the foot traffic to the store and the craziest thing was that our manager would live literally live and die by this whole um, you know sales by day approach and would like be happy in days where we were doing well it was literally by hour by hour and so first of all it's a lesson from bigger companies of how granular they have to get in order to make sure that you're kind of hitting your sales targets but in general also what i felt was it's just insane because they used to measure it to the sales last year that day and that hour so it was tough for in my head because i was like wow you literally have to start from scratch every single day in sales and um that's how the world used to work up until recurring revenue and that's why every single business model software company is trying to figure out and wants to be able to figure out what a recurring revenue model looks like. And, you know, so that's what enterprise software companies do. And, you know, the, the interesting thing there is that it's different as to why you should buy software companies. And so I want to talk about what this blog post kind of evaluates five different approaches that you might consider in your pursuit of a software business. And it's just different kind of approaches to look at essentially, right? And so, you know, first of all, thinking about the valuation of a software company, um, just to understand software, right? And, and valuation as a whole is that it's first kind of determined. And when people talk about, oh, it's trading at this multiple, they usually are looking at public companies, all right? And so you have to always understand that the multiple for a public company is going to be higher than the multiple for a private company because a public company, there's increased liquidity, meaning it's a lot easier for people to buy and sell shares of a public company than it is obviously of a private company. So just keep that in mind. And so, you know, the value of any business in any industry 
is, you know, the finance world, the way they equivocate it is it's the present value of its stream of future cash flows. All right. So the Warren Buffett investing, uh, if you've heard of the term fundamental investing, value investing, if you've heard of the book Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, who was Warren Buffett's mentor, you know, all of that leads to this understanding and the whole kind of modern day era and the last, you know, probably 50 years of finance all has to revolve around, you know, future cash flows and then what's the present value of those. That's what a DCF is, right? And so if you're wondering about future cash flows and you're doing valuation based off of that, the question when it comes to software companies is why would any rational investor end up paying a multiple of revenue um, to determine the software, right? Because now all of a sudden you don't, you know, revenue doesn't tell you anything about what you're actually going to end up with on a profit level, right? There's some companies that have 80% gross margins and there's some companies that have 2% gross margins and volume is like a penny game, you know, like in the telecommunications business, right? You run hundreds of millions of dollars or millions of dollars of revenue, but then your net margin ends up being 1% or less and it's just a volume game. Um, so understanding that, right, the reason why softwares are able to be kind of valued on a revenue multiple is because the business model of the enterprise software company is very, very attractive, right? If you have the right type of business or right type of software company, the revenue and earnings have the potential to be highly stable, predictable, scalable, non-cyclical, and high margin. And the vast majority of software companies operate under subscription-based revenue models. So thereby understanding that like current earnings will not necessarily let you know what the future earning potential of the company ends up being. And that's because the way you have to understand it is that acquiring new customers usually requires a large upfront one-time cost, right? That's the sales and marketing expenses. But then what happens is that the revenue generated from these customers tends to be spread out and the lifetime value of that customer ends up being where the profit ends up being generated. And so that difference between the current and potential future earnings ends up causing where that valuation gap where you feel that you can make a very good return. And so people are willing to pay in valuations just based off of the multiple of the revenue. And so... Obviously, it's not all the same, but really what's happening is that like any company that's a software company has extremely high revenue multiples. You know, in 2021, private market software M&A, they'll be multiple, they'll be valued at a multiple of almost 8 to 9x. And this was very high compared to the past where say from 2017 to 2020, um, according to this kind of blog post by many of the search partners, this is, you know, the valuation was based off of only maybe a four to five X valuation. So the thing to understand is that there's a few different ways that you should bucket a software company acquisition. And we're going to go into a couple of them. So the first one they refer to as the growth equity style deal. And this is a transaction where you have a pretty decently high acquisition multiple, um, That'll be anywhere from three to four X in the lower middle market, but be, can be six X or higher. And traditionally the transaction financing for this would be basically all equity, right? Very little to often no debt. 
and the cash funded to the balance sheet after closing can be pretty material, um, but it depends. And really, it's kind of like the company historically has been growing, you know, pretty decent growth rate, 30% plus, um, new tech stack, new kind of age of seller is pretty young. And this is what we see most typically because these are target companies that are growing revenue at a rapid pace and they have all of the, you know, they check the box for all the interesting business model of the software business, which is highly recurring revenue streams, low customer churn, high gross margin. And, you know, this is kind of super important for any software company that you really need to ask yourself is, is the product mission critical to the operations of the customer? right without representing a large percentage of the overall cost structure so you need to be a need to have not a nice to have and you need to be a need to have that's low cost if you do that then you will be pretty much a dominant market player and you're going to end up doing very very well and so typically because of this scenario the high price that you would have to pay to acquire such a company is usually at the highest end of it all and um, that's something that you need to make sure that you kind of keep an eye on because being a first-time CEO and acquiring one of these businesses ends up becoming very difficult because you have to not only grow the company at such a high percentage rate, like a 30% plus growth rate, but you have to really manage the market expansion and there's a lot of kind of work that needs to be done. And so it's not a bad thesis but it's definitely something that you need to kind of understand what you're getting yourself into because it's a definitely a high growth situation all right another way another kind of that's, so that's one style right that's kind of what we'll call the growth equity style then there's something where there's more of like a what's called the services to software deal and this is a software company that the acquisition multiple will actually be based on EBITDA and the reason for that is because, it's a, you know, you're going to buy with a mix of equity and debt and the EBITDA margins are still decent. They're 10% plus. But what's happening here is that you're basically getting a service oriented business with the ultimate goal or thesis that you'll be able to eventually transition it into a SaaS, which is like software as a service. Right. That's where that whole kind of new model that it's not new anymore, but maybe it's from like 2015 onwards, you know, SaaS was the hot thing and probably will continue to be in the software ecosystem, which is basically taking the concept of a soft, of a service, right? And then helping automate it. And that's what you kind of refer to as like a SaaS. So in some way, I would almost think about companies like QuickBooks, taking kind of the accounting bookkeeping and making it into a software that's monthly recurring. That's kind of how I would say it becomes kind of SaaS. Um, then, you know, there's also different variations. Like, for example, what we've seen is that a couple of these searchers that we deal with um, that are acquiring companies, they're doing a very interesting approach where they're going to kind of more legacy on-premise style softwares and they're kind of upgrading those because, you know, the on-premise softwares that used to have to require you to go in person and set up at the company's you know, server and work at the ground local level. Now, if you take that same kind of stickiness of the product that, you know, they probably were a pretty mission critical component of the business overall, 
you're able to now elevate that and evolve it into being a SaaS or a recurring revenue. And um, usually these companies, again, are based on EBITDA. But nowadays we are still seeing that because of the boom of the kind of 2021 era, um, we are still seeing some ARR multiples. And so it usually has a fairly decent EBITDA growth, uh, EBITDA rate overall. And these are obviously going to be older age sellers, older age technology stack. And, you know, what you really have to kind of consider heavily going forward post acquisition would be the required revenue growth rate. And so you have to understand that companies will now need to figure out how to kind of deal with this migration of software or from going from like a on-premise software to a SaaS. And so, you know, a lot of times there's still the older generation and probably more savvy entrepreneurs that do not like the migration away from one time perpetual use license fees in favor of recurring subscription revenue model, you know, because now for a business, now they have to, rather than it being a one-time fee that they need needed to kind of absorb and then kind of move on. They, the, you know, before it used to be almost in the buyer's interest, their cost expense used to just be a one-time. And now, unfortunately companies and sellers have been elevating their game and they're all kind of changing their model in favor of a recurring subscription revenue model. And that is kind of unfortunate for the CEOs and founders and business owners themselves that need to buy this because now they need to buy it, you know, month after month after month. So, you know, these are pretty well of a growth mechanic we see, you know, companies who successfully navigate the ability to grow from a on-premise solution to a SaaS solution um, are often richly rewarded for their work. And so, again, many of the search partners in this blog post quotes that basically a dollar of perpetual use revenue generated by an on-premise software company is about four or five times less value than that same dollar of subscription revenue. And so that's kind of what you want to aim for is that you want to grow it into a subscription type model because... Um, you know, ultimately you're going to be changing, even as the seller, you're going to be doing an overhaul of your company's financial model. So, you know, your comp, your growth rate will initially be a little bit impaired because you're doing such a expenditure on being able to make the transition from on-premise to recurring, but then the long-term value of it becomes very, very nice. And so, you know, that's kind of one thing that I see is going to be a major trend is anything kind of quote unquote legacy software deals where the age of the seller is older, the age of the technology stack is older, maybe the code base is very old. And, you know, what's happening is that I would say that only kind of tech oriented, meaning like engineers or coders oriented searchers would be capable of using this as their target for, you know, acquiring and operating a business because they are attractive businesses because I feel like the generation of sellers is, you know, wanting to retire and wanting to cash out. But again, it requires somebody who's able to come in and handle all of the necessary R&D and evolution of maybe any of the potential technical debt that has arisen from the code base being, you know, dated by decades or so. And so... It's important to kind of think about 
just the structure of what you need to look at when you're going in to acquire a different type of business, you know? And so even though, you know, not all software companies are created the same. And so while as well, you know, no thesis is perfect, obviously you want to kind of be able to go in with a certain approach or understanding of the manner of which you are going to go and actually buy your software company, right? What is, what are the characteristics of the company? What, how is that going to influence the way that you actually structure the deal? And then understanding that there needs to be some variation of post-close considerations that you set up in order to understand, okay, this is what I'm going to do in terms of valuing the software business. And honestly, one thing I would recommend for first-time buyers, just a last kind of piece of advice here for this episode is, it's not easy to outsource the software development especially if you're not a coder, <laughs> you know, it's very difficult. You're going to be over budget and over time and it should not be the first go-to. So I know countless people, you know, for, and of course, obviously entrepreneurship is difficult and, you know, hiring is everything, but overall, if you're going into a software business without a lot of experience and your thesis is going to be, driven off of, oh, I'm going to just outsource it to overseas and outsource the software development. It's not that easy. <laughs> so let me just kind of put that disclaimer out there and that warning that if you're trying, unless you have set a seven figure budget or a high six figure budget, if you're trying to do anything, you know, remote, again, if, if you're doing something that's already out there and just rebuilding a feature or building some kind of copying another software, hey, be my guest. Even then, you're going to come out to about five figures in cost or probably early six figures. But just want to put it out there that I just knew to know too many people that think that, you know, whereas I think you can very easily outsource content like writing if the person knows SEO and now there's these AI softwares out there that can help you and you can definitely bring in outside consultants for accounting and law and legal, like just like how you probably wouldn't outsource your legal though to somebody overseas. Again, I'm sure there are very st strong companies that do it, but they it's not an easy skill. It's not, it, it's, it's pretty difficult. And so again, just want to put that as a warning uh, out there for anyone looking to acquire a software business. But yeah, hope this helps. Uh, let me know if this was interesting. Please, you know, love to see any reviews that you have. You know, I make this content for you guys and for myself to be able to learn and kind of, put all this information together, but I'd love to know kind of what specific content can help you in your business buying journey or in preparing how, uh, you to, you know, sell your business for the maximum value. So as always, if you do have any questions, you can feel free to reach out to me at M Shah. That's M S H A H at M S L L C.com. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Take care.